You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. I appreciate uh, one of the songs that was being sung, and it speaks about how Jesus is our holiness. And oftentimes in my walk, I haven't understood that. I, I sort of, I tend to view holiness as something maybe you do. You know, you go live for Christ, you perform well for Him, and He is pleased with you as you perform well for Him. Problem is, is that when we don't perform well, uh, we oftentimes don't think we have anything to give Him. I reminded of a young fellow, reminded of a young fellow that came into my office uh, some time ago, <clears throat> and he was chained uh, up with pornography, and he was really chained up with pornography. Uh, him and his dad walked in, and they said, "We need some help, and um, we don't know what to do." And both of them looked pretty depressed. And uh, looking at them, made me depressed. Uh, then he opened his mouth and told his story. He told the story about how he had been a strong Christian. But you know, he had this struggle with pornography. <clears throat> and how, as he went to Bible school, he was in an uncomfortable place, he was in a new place, he was down in the States. And as he spent his time there, uh, you know, he's a quiet guy, probably a little insecure in some ways. Anyway, his comfort zone was his pornography. And that's where he found himself going more and more and more. And ultimately, he ended up um, uh, sequestered in his room hiding in his room, watching pornography, he said, somewhere between 11 and 14 hours a day. To the point where nobody had seen him for two weeks. When people came looking for him, he hid himself in the closet. Uh, <coughs> and his roommates finally staged an intervention, and they set up a trap for him to catch him when he came out. Uh, anyway, by then he was so far in over his head, <coughs> that he uh, didn't know what to do, so he told his folks. And his folks, um, well, they, uh, they immediately bought him a plane ticket home, and they, they heard that I do a, a teaching on pornography, how to get free. And they, uh, they brought him to me, and like I say, when they walked in the door, they're pretty depressed looking. Um, so I shared with him a little bit. And one of the things I remember is I shared with him, uh, and he said, you know, I don't have anything to give God anymore. I got nothing. And I said, do you have any sin in your life? Oh, I got lots of sin. That's all I got in my life. Well, then you have something to give to God. But you know, what he was doing was he was sharing with me a common understanding that we have in the church. And that is that we are somehow called by God to give him our best. When in fact, we're not called to give God our best at all. There's a, some good teaching, you know, John talks about if we say we have no sin. Well, I'm here to say, when I stand there and I say, God, here is my best, I'm sitting there saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not operating from a place of realizing my sin. The scripture then says that I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. Um, you remember the story of the tax collector who stood in the temple with Jesus and he said, you know, I thank God that I'm not like this guy. This guy here is a dirtbag. I, oh Lord, I follow you. And Jesus said, that tax collector over there, he beat his breast, oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That guy walked out forgiven, that guy walked out free, that guy walked out justified. The tax collector, we thought he was offering such good things to Jesus, carried his condemnation out the world. 
if there's one thing I've learned in my walk over the last number of years, and there's been a bunch of things, but one, one thing that really stands out is that when we try to give God our best, we fail. And oftentimes the reason people don't walk in freedom is because that is what their concept is. I have to be holy, I have to give God my best. And so here we are rooting around for our lives, trying to find a best to give him. And when people finally get to the point where they failed enough and they don't have any best left to give, they fall into despair, they fall into depression, and they fall away. Well, this young man, as he shared with me, um, and, I, and, and he said, you know, I don't have anything to give God. When I said to him, yes, you do, you have your sin to give to God, suddenly now his perspective begins to change. Well, I've got a bucket load of stuff to give to God. It, it needs to be said that, uh, who here has changed diapers? Yeah, there's this great picture of my wife changing diapers on, our, on one of our little ones, right? Great picture. She's got the baby down on the change table and I'm taking the shot from this side and she's cooing at the baby while the baby coos up at her. Meanwhile, she's wiping poop and doing all that kind of stuff, right? But her joy is in restoring this little child to a place of cleanliness and happiness. And I, you know, you want to hear more about my, about my, my diaper change illustrations, come to my forgiveness seminar. <laughs> but that was such a good picture. <coughs> Because she had this joy in, in taking what was a mess wrapped around her child and cleansing that mess and restoring that baby. And this is what the heart of God is. And, and so what I want to say to you today, when we give God our worst, when we give God our sin and our failures, we actually make God happy. We fill the heart of God with joy because we are allowing God to do what God came to do. John 3.17 says it. He didn't come into this world to condemn us. He came to save us. And when we allow him to save us from our sin, we fill it with joy. So the prerequisite to that is, what's the sin you've got to do? Hand it over, right? Jesus said, you can't enter heaven unless you enter as a little baby. What does a baby do? When a baby fills his diaper, he squats. You know, Ma, come change me. And Ma jumps up and paws sometimes. And they, they do what they have been given to do. Now, one of the things I learned, oh, jeepers, I'm spooling off into this diaper teaching thing, but, you know, <clears throat> yeah, anyway. If that's all you have to give to God, I want to say to you that it fills heart, God's heart with joy when you give that to Him. Anyway, I talked to this young fellow that, and I said, do you, want, are you, do you want to follow Jesus? Are you ready for, he says, I don't want to follow Jesus. He says, I just want my porn. Now, in the old days, when I was a young minister, I would have gone, oh, that's bad. You know, don't want to follow Jesus, just want, just want your porn. You know, and I would have set, set to this young fellow, and I would have, I got to convince this guy otherwise. And suddenly I was struck by, that is so good. That is so good. You are being so honest before God right now. I love this honesty, and so does God. Who here has lost their desire to follow Christ as a minister? I have lost that desire more than once. Usually it's because I'm busy fighting my sin. Usually it's because I'm busy fighting my sin. And every time I fight my sin, I fail. So what do I do? God comes and he breaks into my reality and he says, Hey, your diaper's full. Get over here. Come here. 
And in fact, God asked a little bit like a parent, you know, sometimes chased me around, chasing me around the room, you know. Um, who has ever had a toddler that hides behind the TV and poops the diaper? Because <laughs> he doesn't want to bother being changed, he's got too much stuff to do right now, right? And mom has to chase him around the room and track him down. This is the God we serve. Anyway, with this young man, what I did was I said, okay, I don't know how to fix uh, what you're going through, but I do know somebody who can heal uh, that stuff. I said, what we want to do is we want to invite Jesus into the diaper. We want to do a Romans 5.20 moment. We want to open that diaper up, expose the mess, so we can access the mess, so we can cleanse the mess. Would you pray with me? I've got nothing else to lose. Sure, I'll pray with you. A little bit of willingness. That's all we have. So we prayed a prayer of something like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the Son of God. You died to forgive my sins. All I have to offer you now is that, my priority. Jesus, according to John 1 5, your light shines in the darkness. I invite you into my pornography. I can't fight it anymore. I love it, and I want it, and I don't want to follow you anymore. So I invite you into all that too. Do what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we finished that prayer at the end of the prayer. Love to say that he bounced up and he looked all happy. He did not bounce up and look all happy. Looked just as depressed as he did when we started the prayer. Him and his dad, they walked in depressed looking. They walked out depressed looking and left me depressed. Oh, Lord, I don't know if anything happened. I think A.B. Simpson would stand alongside Martin Luther when they just talked about you just stand in faith. This is not about feelings. It's not about what it looks like. It's about faith. We trust God. Okay. So, I moved on with my life. About... I'm going to say about a year later, I got this I got this communication through Facebook from this young guy. And he said, Pastor Boy, I just want to let you know what's happened in my life. He said, since the moment I walked out of your office, I have been free from pornography. I'm going like, that takes me off. You could have at least told me anyway. I've been depressed for a whole year about this thing, thinking I was a failure. And now you come along and tell I could have been happy for a whole year. Anyway, tell me more, I said. He said, well, the key thing was this. He said, you taught me that I had to stop trying to clean myself up. You taught me that holiness was not what I do, it is who I know. And we just sang that in a song. You taught me that I had to invite Jesus into my darkness and let him defeat the sin of my life. Well, he said, since I walked out of your uh, office, he said, on a couple of two occasions, I had fallen back into pornography. The moment I fell back into pornography, he said, once, he said, I, I got ticked off at something, and I thought, oh, yeah, we love yours, God. And he went and looked at some porn, and he said, I was chained up just like I had never been set free. Not willing to repent. He said, that night I had a dream, and in the dream, God showed me an evil presence. And then when I woke up, God said, you can't have it both ways. It's either me or the porn. What's it going to be? And, and he said, God gave me the grace to say yes to him again lifting me out of that. One thing that, you know, that's a great statement. One of the things that that says to me is it said, God God understands our immaturity. Who here is immature? Well, like, yeah, there, there's going to be various levels of immaturity in this place. God understands immaturity. It's like us as parents. I've had immature kids. I was an immature kid. Every once did my dad look at me going, you're immature. Out the door, we'll make another one that's mature. You can't do that. As parents, you walk with children, you watch them grow. As they're in their immaturity, sometimes you realize they can't really help you and they have to sweep up after you. This is what our God is like. He understands us more than we understand ourselves. Isaiah 40, 
28 to 31 says, There is no fathoming the love, the, the understanding of God. He understands us more than we understand ourselves. God, I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I keep doing it. God says, I understand. Aren't you quit fighting your sin? Come here. In fact, he pursues us. Come here. Well, my young friend, he said, the next time that I fell into porn, I got angry at something, I fell back in. He said, still, God reached into my life and he said, give it back to me. You know, I, 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 I've experienced this many times with many people. Ooh, we sin once and then we fall, we sin once again and we fall, we sin, and, then, and then we go, okay, we've had enough choice, uh, chances. And the devil's really good at that too, because the devil comes along and he lies to us and he says, you, you have been you have spent enough of God's good time and energy, and he's moving on to somebody else. Who here has changed diapers? <laughs> Who here had a newborn, and you only changed them three times in a day? You know, I remember when we had newborns, and my, we, we had, uh, well, I didn't really have newborns, and we'd have these things called baby showers. And women would come walking in with big bales of uh, pampers. And it's like, what are you saying to me? Right? <laughs> you think we're going to use all those? Boom! They're out the door. <laughs> Off the superstore. Get more. What did I come to understand? I came to understand, you know what? When that kid cries, we're changing him. We're not giving him three chances. Never once let me stand over the, the crib and holler. You know what, buddy? You you crapped yourself three times today. You were laying in it until tomorrow, so you'll learn. <laughs> Give me a break. Who would do that kind of thing? Don't you? <laughs> I have to call the cops right now. <laughs> we don't do that kind of thing. And the scripture says, if you being evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children, know how to treat your children well, how much more will your heavenly father, who is in heaven, treat you well? He says, you sin? Tell me what you did. Divide me into I will say it. I hear the preacher stares at me like that. Right? <laughs> Bless you. Yes, I was in Bible school. We had this preacher come, and he, he walked around and stared at people, and we're like, whoa, I hate it, but I like it. <laughs> this young man, he went out, and he carried out his struggle with porn. But he carried a new understanding. When he carried it, he says, the Jesus is my holiness. The light of God is his presence. It displaces the darkness. I don't have to live for him. I can let him live through me. My challenge is to invite him into everything that I have done and everything that I do, every failure, and, and to invite him there as often as possible. When we look at ourselves and we, and we see our inability not to sin, God understands that. You know, Paul in Philippians 3, he says, you know, I, I'm not perfect. He said, I've walked this journey. I still struggle, I still stumble, but he said, you know what? I've learned to leave behind me what is behind me. And to look forward to the call in the, the, that high calling in Christ. <clears throat> Lord, I'm in your hands. Take me there. Do what you will with me. I think sometimes God has been presented to us as just God that fixes our problems. You understand that if you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to lead you into places where there are problems, and he's going to say, Trust me there. Remember Jesus, he was baptized. The Holy Spirit was poured out on him. And what did God do? God led him into a place where he would be tempted. And why did God lead him there? So that Jesus could trust the Father in that place. 
Sometimes we wonder, why are we in this difficult place? Why has God led me to this place? I'm failing all over the place. Why am I here, Lord? And God says, just trust me there. Who brought some temptations in Matthew 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness? The devil. So the scripture is clear that God doesn't bring us temptation. The devil is the tempter. And he's vicious and malevolent, and he will seek to destroy you. Your challenge is when you're in the presence of the enemy, is to say, Dear Jesus, I'm under your blood. Put your focus on him. Now, I want to just share with you briefly uh, from Matthew um, on the Lord's Prayer, because we've been talking about prayer this week. And the Lord's Prayer is something I grew up praying every Sunday morning. Uh, and I didn't understand really what that prayer was all about. But, but I've, I've come to a, a deeper understanding of this, you know. Uh, first of all, uh, it says, when you pray, don't go into your, don't go on battling like pagans. It's not about the number of words. It's not about the correct words. It's about your heart expressed in those words. When you tell somebody that you love them, you can tell them that 400 times and they're going like, man, you say that a lot. I'm not sure if I believe you. Or you can tell them you love them and then you can abuse them. That's what a lot of abusers do. I love you, I love you, I love you, and then they use you. I'm not sure you love me. But when we come before Jesus, that simple word, Lord, I love you, is enough. Jesus said it's not about the volume of your words. It's about your heart. So he says this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And what I want to do uh, is my little whiteboard up here. Boom. I want to share some application of how this can work in our lives. So, here I am. What happens with me? I end up with my, uh, well, I'm already doing it wrong here. Savior. My Savior, I keep my focus on my Savior. I go to church, I sing the worship songs, I put my focus on the Savior. Problem is, is that uh, it's not so much church on Sunday morning, it's what happens after that. I walk out of church and I go back into my situation. And so when it, this is what happened with my young friend with pornographic struggles. He had this situation, and that situation followed him everywhere. And the all-consuming nature of that situation gradually pulled his focus away. And he didn't spend any time with God after time because he was too busy fighting with his situation, trying to correct his situation. He thought if he could fix his sin, he could get back in that place with God. God was somehow displeased with him, and if he could get rid of the porn out of his life, God would allow him back into his presence. The harder it got with the porn, the worse the porn got, the worse the sin got, the more distant he felt. Why? It's actually not because God doesn't love him and God didn't want to draw him close. It's because he was battling his situation in his own strength. Who here has got a situation in your life and it's taking your attention away from God and you are battling that situation in your own life? And it's a complex situation. And it's just showing you that you don't have what it takes to fix it. Well, that would describe several days last week for me. Right there, right? What do we do? Jesus says, pray then in this way. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, he says, I want you to open this way. And the Lord's Prayer, I want to say to you, is not just a paragraph prayer to, pray, to crank your way through. The Lord's Prayer is a structure of prayer, and it gives us several stages of prayer. And the first one is get your eyes back on the Savior. And so in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this becomes the most important thing. 
<clears throat> Lord, I'm in this situation I'm beyond my strength. My sin is all around me. And I need to lift my eyes to you. And usually only desperate people are willing to do that. Think about the little illustration, you know, about the lamb in the Bible who goes astray and, the, and he's out doing his thing and finally gets caught in a bush and he starts to bleat for help and the shepherd hears that and runs to him. That lamb in his place of his desperation is finally saying, my shepherd, I worship you. So the first stage of the Lord's Prayer, it, it, it always takes him, God in my situation right now, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. You are my God. We've been talking about deliverance ministry. Deliverance ministry is never about demons. It's always about the deliverer. It's not about Satan. It's about the Savior. So what we do in deliverance ministry is we say, this is who Jesus is. And we are turning our eyes back to here. And the devil can squirm and squawk all he wants on this level. But we are going here. And then we go to the next stage of the prayer. And the next stage of the prayer says this. Your kingdom come. What are we saying? Well, you know what? I've been fighting my situation, my strength, with all my resources and failed. It is time to say, your kingdom come. 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Four times Paul speaks in there that the, the kingdom of God is not just words. It is power. And when you look at God and you say, I worship you. You are my savior. I declare the holiness of your name in my situation. Lord, your strength. Your power, that's what you're inviting into your situation right now. Lord, I can't fix this. But you can. And I say, your kingdom come. Everything in my situation now comes under your authority. So go on to the next one. And this is one that a lot of us, we struggle with. And Lord, your will be done. Okay, who here has a problem, kid? You got plans for that kid? And it's like my mother, right? I was a problem kid. And she knew darn well what she wanted to do to fix me, right? The problem is, and this is what sort of drove her to despair, was that none of her plans worked. And God confronts her one day and says, you've got to put the boy in my hands. Yeah, but Lord, what if you do something weird to him? God says, I will do in him what I will do in him. That is not your business. This is a huge risk for a lot of us. This is something, you know, if you're a businessman struggling and, and you don't know what to do um, and, and you say, God, your will be done. You're saying, Lord, you can do with my business what you want as long as with, it's within these parameters. And God says, no, no, as long as it's in those parameters, I can't work. That's your will be done. So what we end up doing is we end up saying, Lord, you know what? In my situation, I don't care. This young fellow that struggled with pornography, one of the big things that, that was so hard for him was as people in the church came to know his struggle, it destroyed his relationship. I was a pastor a number of years ago. I burned out in the ministry. One of my big fears was God fix the situation, fix me, but don't let everybody know that I'm a failure as a pastor. God did not do that. God allowed me to burn out, and I became a failure as a pastor. And in that moment, something transitioned within me. The things that I cared most about, my pride, my reputation, what I looked like, what people thought, all of that stuff became worthless to me. And I needed to get to that place if I was really going to serve God. 
Paul says, if you serve what people think, you are not serving God. If you fear what people think, you are not serving God. If you want to be used by God, it's got to be on His terms. Lord, thy will be done. I don't care how you work out this situation, but I'm saying we're doing it your way. And I'm finally ready for that to happen. You know, how do you know when you get to that point where you're ready for that to happen? I'll tell you how. Because the stress finally goes away. The straining finally goes away. Anyway. And then he goes on and he says this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means your will be done in my situation as it is in heaven. In my family, in my business, in my whatever. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. Which means we turn now to him for our provision. A number of years ago when we started this ministry, God asked us to step out. And I love money. Who here loves money? My fellow idolaters. I love it. I love it. This is what the Bible says. If you love money, you hate God. Ooh, jeepers, that's a hard one to hear. What do you mean? You can't have money as your top priority. If it's the top spot in your life, or your car, I have a 1967 farm. I had to repent because it's one of my favorite things. Uh, anyway, whatever it is that takes top spot in your life has to be repositioned. So you can't love money. So what, what he says is he says, whatever the provision you need for your situation, now we get to go, Lord, you are my provider. I'm not looking to the bank. I'm not looking to our RBC or CIBC or whoever else. I'm looking to you as my provider. We're not looking to Justin Trudeau. We're saying, Jesus, you're my provider. Even, even if Justin destroys our economy, which I'm not saying he will, I'm saying, God, you're carrying me there, and, and you're going to provide for me all the way through. We stepped out of uh, a decent paying ministry job to start the ministry we're in right now. And, and to this day, I don't know how God paid our bills, but he did. One of my favorite stories is, you know, I got a phone call. You like me? Yeah, I like me. Good, bring your rifle and a chainsaw. Uh, we spent an afternoon doing what I call Redneck Ministries International, right? Um, where we slaughtered this old berry cow and it ended up in the freezer. But God took care of it. Lord, give me the money that we need. I prayed that actively. You are the provider. We'll take what you get, what you give us. And then it goes on to that next stage of the prayer. As you pray for his provision, for him to be your provider, the source of your strength. He says, now forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, those who owe us. This is the core of the Lord's Prayer. This is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that is restated at the end. Jesus goes on down to the end of the Lord's Prayer. When he sort of finishes the prayer, he says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive men their sins, and women, your sins will not be forgiven. Who here has somebody that you, you haven't forgiven? If you are one of these people, this is one of the things that's holding you back from experiencing the love of God. I want to describe it this way. When somebody hurts us, and people do hurt us, and people do treat us in evil and, and destructive ways, 
I'm not saying that what they've done to us is good, but I'm saying that when you hold on to that unforgiveness, it becomes a blockage in your life where you can no longer enter into the presence of God. Why? It's like this. I'm trying to explain it to God, one, or I'm, I'm studying this one day, and I'm going, God, why? And he says, because, he says, when you hold on to our unforgiveness, it's like you holding on to this thing. You've been betrayed, and it's between you and me. I dare you to come and hug me right now. It's between us. You get what I'm saying? Boy, this thing works pretty good. <laughs> as long as you hold on to that thing, you keep me at a distance. Is it that God does, doesn't want to forgive us? God says, I came for that very purpose. You have to let go of what's been done to you. If you don't, you cannot experience the grace of God. They call it the theology of the great exchange. Where on the cross, Jesus exchanged his life for our death. His innocence for our sin. There's an exchange that needs to happen. We have to be willing to exchange our grudge for his mercy. Are you ready? The moment you drop that, your hands are free and you can receive. I had a guy come up to me after doing this teaching one time. His name was Albert. He was in a big church. He walked up to me. Uh, I'm a pretty solid fellow. Plants himself right in front of me. Boom! Are you saying I can't be forgiven unless I forgive? Got hearing problems? Yeah, that's pretty much what we just said here. It's written right here. I didn't say that because, you know, you look a little intimidating. But anyway, I'm thinking this. And I'm going, yeah, that's what it says. And you could see the gears grinding in his head. Like, like he hadn't thought about this before. I, I said, think of it this way. Do you think you're going to get into heaven without having your sins forgiven? Well, no. You need to think about that. You cannot bring your hatred for someone else into heaven with you. As he thought about that, suddenly this young fellow, just as solid as he was, pushed past me with his hand. And he grabbed Albert's hand and said, Dad, I'm sorry. And I forgive you too. And by now I'm pushed out of the picture and I look at Albert as he turns to the guy who was his son. And the two of them embrace, and Albert's just like, he's shell-shocked. He's like, what's going on here? And the two of them ignored me after that. They spent the rest of the morning talking in the back, catching up on what turned out to be a couple of years of missed relationship. Now, I looked at Albert, and I wondered, what if he traded? You know, when you think about carrying a grudge, when you think about carrying the anger, is it really worth it? What does it cost you? When I think about Albert, I think about what did, what did it cost him? It cost him two years of relationship with his son, with his daughter-in-law, with his grandchildren. Was it worth it? Albert would say no. But you cannot be free, Jesus said, unless you're willing to forgive. That doesn't mean that you have to trust the person. You hear what I'm saying? You know, I got, I got a dog that, that bites. If I have a dog that bites, I can do two things. I can shoot the dog. Or I can take action because I don't trust the dog in certain situations. That illustration comes out of my years as a meter reader in Calgary. Anyway, right? <laughs> don't trust the dog, right? When you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to trust them. But it does mean you put them in the hands of God and God, you know what, this belongs to you. I'm not carrying it anymore. 
I'm inviting you to this grudge, into this unforgiveness in my heart. You do it, you will. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God doesn't lead us into temptation. The indication in scripture is that there are times where he will lead us into places where we will be tempted. The only time, the only thing, the only reason God does that is because he's teaching us to trust him there. He will never walk us in there and say, okay, deal with it, and then leave. He will say, trust me there. And you wonder why you're undergoing temptation, because God is saying, I need you to trust me. What I have coming in your life, you need to learn how to trust me. If you've been dealing with temptation on your own, it comes from the devil. And Jesus says, I will deliver you from him. Put your focus from him, from your situation, back on him. And so this is how the Lord's Prayer finishes. At the end, we bring our, our focus back to the Savior. Back to all glory, all honor, all power is yours, now and forever. You know, my friends, as there, there's just so much. Like there, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, what is this, man? Back up! It happened in the Old Testament. Anyway, there's so, so much more that we could say, but I, I just, you know, I want to encourage you. I come to this place and I experience the presence of God in this place. And I see a people that are hungry to be carried forward by the Spirit of God. And, you know, when we look at that, how do you gain freedom to be carried forward? You surrender more deeply. The deeper the surrender to him is the deeper the freedom that you and I will walk in. Who here is carrying something in your own strength? Who here? Who here? Who here has been betrayed and you're carrying the aftermath of that betrayal? I would like to lead you in a prayer of surrender. Now, I'm going to say to you, I just ran into a woman recently who had tried and tried and tried to forgive, and she finally gave up because she couldn't do it. And I said to her this, I said, it is not up to you to do the forgiving so much as it is up to you to invite Jesus into the wound and let him heal and let him do the forgiving in you. Forgiving is not a performance we do, it's, a, it's an act of surrender. Will you give him what was done to you? Are you ready for that? Are you ready? I would like to invite you to follow me in that prayer. So I don't want to do this teaching without giving you that opportunity to respond to God. Because God has got his hand on some of your lives right now and he wants a deeper surrender. You don't have to perform. It's just about surrender. Will you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to pray with me out loud. I'm going to lead you through a prayer just like Jesus led his disciples. All you have to do is mean the words. Pray with me out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the Son of God. You died to forgive my sins. And you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. You have said to me that I should give you my burdens. And I am ready. I now give you my unforgiveness. I give you the betrayal, the hate, 
Cain, because I belong to you, this now belongs to you too. I renounce my grip on the other person. I renounce my demands of them. And I put them in your hands. They are yours to deal with. Dear Jesus, where I have walked in my own strength, I repent, forgive me, and I accept your forgiveness. I invite you into my darkness, my weakness, and I say yes to you there. Come Holy Spirit, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. God Almighty, I speak over my brothers and sisters here, and I speak to release the power of the living God pouring through this place into these hearts. Satan, the Lord rebukes you. You have nothing upon us because Jesus has washed it away by his blood. And in this place of repentance and humbling of ourselves, you have lost your grip. I bind the spirit of unforgiveness here in the name of Jesus. I pierce you with the sword of the Holy Spirit. And I command you where Jesus sends you. All self-strength in the name of Jesus out the door. Lord, we surrender. You are the living God. And we say yes to you. Come, pour out your spirit, even as we receive communion. Lord, this is a time of prayer where we bring to you our need. And you meet us in that place. Father, we thank you.